It may be well to explain here the meaning of an Einstein. It is a peculiarly typical term used by the children of Budapest. Whenever a brazenly fearless youngster discovers boys more timid than himself playing marbles or similar outdoor games and desires to disrupt such games, he thunders, Einstein! This ugly, Teutonic word indicates that the physically stronger boy regards the marbles of the other to be his rightful loot, and he is ready to employ force against all resistance. Einstein, therefore, means a declaration of war. It is likewise a terse and unmistakable way of proclaiming a state of siege, the right of force of the fist of brigandage. Celle was first to speak up. A shudder ran through the sensitive Celle as he said, An Einstein, did you say? Yes, corroborated Nemechek, his courage mounting at the realisation of the deep effect produced by their information. Then Garib burst forth. We can't put off with this any longer. I've long been in favour of doing something about it, but Boca pulls a face at every suggestion. If we do nothing, they're apt to give us a drubbing too. Jornakos placed two fingers in his mouth to indicate that he was about to whistle with joy. He was ready to join every revolution. But Boca grabbed his hand. Don't deafen me, he remonstrated. And in all seriousness, he asked the little blonde, how did it all happen? The Einstein, you mean? Yes, when and where? Yesterday afternoon in a museum. By museum was meant the lawn surrounding that public institution. Well then, suppose you tell us the whole story, exactly how everything happened. You must know the truth if you are to do anything about it. Nemechek became excited at the thought of being a central character in an incident of great importance. Such distinction was rarely his lot. To most people, little Nemechek was thin air. Like the figure one in arithmetic, he neither multiplied nor divided things. No one ever paid much attention to him. He was an insignificant, lean and weak-kneed youngster. It was probably this very inferiority which made him an ideal victim. Now he began to tell his tale, and the rest of the boys put their heads together. It was like this, he said. After luncheon, we went out to the museum, I mean Weiss, Richter, Kolnai, Barabash and myself. First we thought of playing baseball in Esterhazy Street, but the ball belongs to the boys of the Real School, and they wouldn't give it to us. Then Barabash suggested that we go to the museum to roll marbles against the wall, and all of us did play marbles against the wall. Everyone had a chance to roll a marble, and the fellow whose ball struck one already rolled took the whole pot. The game had gone around several times. There must have been at least 15 marbles at the wall. I think two of them were glasses. Suddenly we heard Richter yell. That finishes it. Here come the pastor boys. The pastor boys were just coming around the corner with hands stuck in their pockets and their heads down low. They came so slowly that all of us got scared. What difference did it make that we were five against the two of them? They are strong enough to lick ten of us. And anyway, there's no use counting us as five, because in a pinch Kolnai always runs away, and so does Borobash. There are only three of us, at best. I myself may decide to run away too. That leaves only two. 
But what good would it do if all five of us tried to run away? Those pastor boys are the best runners at the museum. They'd catch us in no time. So, as I say, they kept coming nearer and nearer and had their eyes on the marbles all the time. Said I to Colnai, they seem to have taken a liking to our marbles. Vice was the smartest of us because he had said right away, they're coming all right, there's Einstein in the air. Honestly, I didn't think they would hurt us because we had never bothered them. In fact, at first they really didn't do anything to us. They only watched the game. Then Colnai whispered to me, let's stop now. And I said, I should say not. Not right after you've rolled a blank. It's my turn. If I win, we'll stop. Meanwhile, Richter had to roll, but I saw his hand tremble with fear. He kept one eye on the pastors, and of course he missed. But the pastor did not budge. He only stood there with hands stuck into their pockets. Then I rolled. It was a strike. That made me the winner of all the marbles. I was about to go over to gather them up. There must have been about thirty in all. Just then, one of the pastor boys jumped in front of me. It was a younger one, and he cried, Einstein! I turned my head and saw Kolnoy and Barabash beating it away. Weiss stood near the wall. He was very pale. Richter was deliberating what to do. I tried to reason with them. I remember saying, Excuse me, but you have no right to this. By this time, the older pastor had nearly finished picking up the marbles and putting them in his pocket. The younger one grabbed the front of my jacket and shouted, Didn't you hear me say, Einstein? After that, of course, I didn't say another word. Vice began to bawl. Kornoy and Kenda peeped back from around the corner of the museum to see what was happening. And the pastor boys picked up all the marbles. Then, without another murmur, they went away. That's all. It's unheard of, said Garib in indignation. It's highway robbery. That was Chella's opinion. Chornakosh blew another shrill blast to indicate that air was full of gunpowder. Boker stood still, thinking hard. Everyone was watching him. All of them were anxious to know what Boker would have to say about these grievances. They had been in the air for months, and Boker had consistently refused to take them seriously. But on this occasion, the glaring injustice of it, as related by Nanachek, moved Boker too. Quietly, he said. Right now I think we ought to go to eat. This afternoon we'll be meeting on the groom. Then we will talk things over. I am convinced now that it is an impossible situation. His declaration seemed to please all of them. Boker appeared in a very sympathetic light. The boys looked at him with affection. They were thrilled by the sight of his agacious little head, his glittering black eyes, which at that moment were aglow with militant blaze. They would have liked to kiss Boker for having at last shared their indignation. Again, they wended their way homeward. There was cheeriness and a tolling of a bell somewhere in the Joseph district. The sun shone at its brightest, and everything seemed filled with joy. These boys were on the threshold of great deeds. The desire to do things burned strong within them. All of them lived in anticipation of the next move. For, once Booker had declared that something must be done, something surely would be done.
On and on they went towards Ulderi Avenue. Chornakosh and Nemechek fell behind. When Boca turned to say something to them, both of them were standing at a basement window of the tobacco factory, which was thickly coated with fine tobacco dust. Snuff! cried Chornakosh boisterously, blew his lusty whistle and stuffed his nose full of the yellow dust. Namachek, the little monkey, laughed heartily. He too put a frail hand on a pane and sniffed at the tip of a finger. Amid recurring sneezes, the two of them passed through Kerstalek Street, elated at their discovery. Chornakosh fairly boomed as he sneezed, like the roar of a cannon. The little fellow merely snuffled like a guinea pig when annoyed. And so they sneezed and snuffled, laughed and romped. For at that moment, the sum of their happiness was great indeed. They forgot even that which Boca himself, quiet and serious Boca, had declared to be something unheard of.